0: Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the School of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett. Here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And we are continuing with our coronavirus uh, investment series. We have Jeremy Raper back on. And uh, what do you want to discuss today with the listeners?
1: Hey Eric, let's let's talk about gold uh, in particular, a couple of gold stocks, but but I guess the investment case for gold. Um, I think it's uh, probably about as compelling as it's been in many years. Why is that? Um, and <laughs> okay, so so there's I mean there is there's two parts. There's why gold, and then there's why these particular you know miners that I'm going to mention. So let's not just let's. The
0: commodity. Why don't you share with us your uh, view on gold in general and then we can you know break it down and go into a few few names
1: sure sure so so the, the macro view on gold look this isn't original or or unique to me or anything like that so it's widely out there but if you think about what's happening in the market right now right so gold gold's actually been punished badly uh in the last you know it initially did quite well over the last two weeks and then the last two three sessions it's been sold aggressively um, i actually think this is a good sign not a bad sign because essentially when people need liquidity they sell everything they sell the havens they sell governments they, they just want to move to cash so there's there's a massive panic massive panic move going on in the market right now but i don't expect that to last what i expect to last is once you know the false liquidations are over and it's hard to know when that happens but you know the VIX can't stay at eighty, eighty-five for f- forever, or the market will just cease to function. Um, once that happens, the the investment case for gold is extremely clean because coming through this coronavirus crisis, the obvious corollary to what's happening is there'll just be a massive amount of fiscal and monetary stimulus, right? This has already basically been announced. The, you know the Fed, the Fed is a. Uh, going to buy everything left right and center is open the discount window for lending again they're backstopping the commercial paper market they're backstopping the money market the ecb just announced a 750 billion euro um, effectively a tarp for corporate and sovereigns to 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 buy uh, troubled well troubled assets they government bonds and corporate bonds um, it all amounts to massive debasement of paper currency so in a world where we're you know paper is just devalued massively, you want to be long a hard asset store of value, the most traditional of which and the most long-lasting of which through the course of human history is gold.
0: So, Jeremy, let me just stop um, you for a second. There's that. The,
1: yep. Yep.
0: the commodities markets tend to function, right? I mean, there is there is supply and demand, and there is a known data point, right, that the there's going to be all this fiscal stimulus, which inherently increases the money supply, so mm-hmm. why wouldn't the price of gold? I mean, the gold market's pretty big. I mean, it's an international market; it's pretty huge. Why would the price mm-hmm. of gold not react to what's already known? I, I'm I, I'm just a little skeptical of that being. It's a commodities market. Well, I
1: mean, you could say that about any market, though, right? Why wouldn't any market automatically price information accurately right now? Because sure. it's not just about it's just not just about me and you rationally working out where gold should go to fair value. It's it's forced liquidations. It's forced buying, forced selling. So, so you
0: think the so you believe the forced liquidations on gold is in such an extreme amount that it's actually distorting the the. What, what the true oh, equilibrium absolutely. price okay interesting
1: Ab- absolutely i mean you can see it in the price action right you can see it in the price action there's no debate that all this monetary stimulus and fiscal stimulus is in 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 um in isolation this is massively gold positive right if, if you pulled a gold bull out of the street two two years ago and asked them what scenario would you see gold going to 2000, 2,500, twenty five hundred they'd probably paint a massive global pandemic where every central bank is hauling over themselves to print paper and debase themselves because they just want to flood the system with paper, right? Um, Sure. What do you want to own? You want a hard asset store of value. And yet gold has, I mean, it did well initially, and then it just got obliterated the last two days. It's down, what, 15% or something in the last three sessions, Um, which only tells you that a lot of people were too long gold. It was holding up fine. And then now in the last couple of days, everyone has just had to sell everything, so, so there's that point, point. and then there's the more idiosyncratic point. Is look overnight there was an announcement: one of Kinross Gold, which is Canadian miner, one of their Russian gold mines is being forced to shut down. Right? It's being shut down because they found coronavirus infections at the mine. So, huh. if you think about it, there aren't actually that many. There aren't that many gold mines in the world that produce all the world's gold. Right? The, the, the vast majority of the world's gold is produced at under thirty mines. So, if you really are bearish on the coronavirus. And you think – I mean, look, this is true to an extent for other commodities as well that are mined in scarce places. But the problem with other commodities is they're also linked strongly to underlying economic demand, right? So you could shut down a bunch of copper mines, which will probably happen. But that's so linked to economic activity that it won't necessarily mean copper goes up because – the demand for copper has just actually gone down. Whereas, if a bunch of gold mines get shut down because people can't mine because of the virus or whatever, then you know, in that world, demand for gold's actually probably gone up because we're in a disaster environment or we're in a monetary debasement environment. But the supply has simultaneously gone way down. Yeah. So, so I think that's actually quite interesting. I mean, it's only happened at one mine so far in Russia, but it wouldn't surprise you know a, a huge amount of the world's gold is mined in, in Russia. Um, A lot of it is mined in Africa um, and then North America. So if North America, you know, a huge amount of gold is mined in Nevada, for example. So if you can't mine, you know, there's nothing more close quarters than an underground gold mine, right? You can't social distance inside an underground mine. Let's put it that way. Um, So, you know, I think I'm actually not to bear some other commodities for this reason as well, but I'm really bullish on gold because it's traditionally been a safe haven asset. It's traditionally been uncorrelated other than in the most extreme terrible liquidity environments, which is what we have right now. Uh, and and you also have this kind of upside risk that a m- bunch of the mines might get taken offline, right? So, you know, what happens if the, the uh, Barrick Newmont JV in Nevada gets taken offline for an extended period of time, right? Gold price would just go to the moon. Right, um, that's, that's definitely within the realm of possibility. What happens if the, the, you know, the Kalgoorlie super pit in Australia gets taken offline? Or, you know, what happens if Australia shuts down? All their mines as well, so it's definitely um, plausible. I'm not not something I'm banking. On. I mean, what about Indonesia, right? A huge amount of gold gets mined in Indonesia. We don't even know if they have a handle on the virus. What happens if they just have to shut to shut down production at Lahir? You know, so there's a lot of variables here, but the, the macro case is pretty strong. The idiosyncratic um, um, potential is pretty strong as well, uh, and I can't really see how coming out of this, gold isn't a, an extremely desirable asset. So so, so so I like the macro picture, but even more than just buying gold, I actually love owning gold by the miners in a few names, particularly those names where most of the costs are denominated in local currency. So essentially what's happening is all, all our non-US dollar currencies are getting destroyed, right? There's a massive liquidity squeeze and everyone wants a dollar. So, you know, gold is denominated in US dollars. So if you sell yeah. gold, you're fine. Well, what, what happens if you mine that gold in Russia or you mine that gold in South Africa? Well, obviously, the vast majority of the costs is a local currency, right? So, so there's a gold miner called Polyus Gold, PLZL. Okay. It's listed, on, it's listed on the London Stock Exchange. It's the largest gold miner in Russia. It's the largest low-cost gold miner in the world. Um, their cash cost of gold is extremely low. They have a moderate amount of leverage. But essentially, 80% of all their costs are in rubles, and the ruble has gone from 60 to close to 80 because it's oil linked right so all of a sudden their cash cost has gone down by 30 percent overnight even though gold's off from where it was but before the last two weeks gold was actually up a lot right so they're winning both sides um and then you have another one that i like uh which is called drd gold it's listed in south africa and it's got an adr on the new york stock exchange which is drd where, again, it's a similar story, you know, they, all their mines are, they tailings mines in South Africa, so that means they basically go to old mine sites, the dumps, of spent ore, and they go through those tailings and they take the gold out of them. So it's, it's, it's almost like environmental cleanup, where you take out the, the bits of gold that were left over from historical mining. Anyway, they, they go through those mines, they get the gold, all their, all their employees are obviously South African old, but basically all their costs are in rand, um, and all their revenues are in dollars. Now, not only that, but the other component, which is great for these companies, is that oil is down 30, whatever it is, 35% in two weeks, right? So oil was $50, now it's 25 I mean, it's down 50% almost in the space of two months, right? Um, And a huge amount of gold companies' costs are either directly or indirectly linked to oil because, you know, labor is actually not that large. It depends on the mine, obviously, but labor is generally not a large part of the of the OPEX uh, breakdown for a a gold mine. It's normally, you know, maybe 30% is fuel, oil linked. Maybe another 25%, 30% is contracting. Maybe another 20% is consumables. So essentially machinery and, you know, chemical, well, not so much machinery, but let's say chemicals, sulfuric acid, things like this used in the gold mining process, a lot of which are, again, linked to oil because they're either directly taken out of a refinery or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're created using a lot of energy, so they have a lot of embedded energy, which, again, derives from the oil price.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So for, for the vast majority of these miners, if they use traditional mining techniques, maybe close to half of the OPEX, at least 40% of the OPEX is either directly or indirectly linked to the price of oil. So think of it. You're a, you're a gold miner in South Africa or in Russia. You're Right now, the gold price is down a bit, but it's still high relative to, any, you know, to the last two, three years, right? It's still north of 1,400. Um, still a very healthy level your local currency costs have been obliterated because your, your, your base currency has been destroyed. Oil price is down 45%, so half of your direct cash costs are down probably 40 to 50%. Now all your contracting costs are also going to be lower because a lot of those are service providers, so guys like you know, contracting companies that, that will come into your digging for you. Um, now a lot of those guys are either oil-linked or also would more generally link to the broader economy, which is going to suffer. So those costs probably come down. So you're going to see not only going to see uh, a healthy top line, you're going to see a massive margin expansion. Despite all this, you know some of these things are viewed as emerging market assets and therefore are harder to hold in times like this. So the stocks are actually down, not up, um, or they just follow the gold price temporarily, right? So a stock like BRD is traded close to eight bucks a couple of weeks ago. Now it's four fifty. Short sure, gold price has gone from seventeen hundred to fourteen and change. In that time, but the rand has also been destroyed, oil has also been destroyed, and the company is massively net cash. There's no debt.
0: And how are so, you? How, how are you valuing the businesses?
1: I mean, look, you, you have to make an assumption on the gold price. Sure. You have to make an assumption on normalised margins, right? So you can basically run through an oil price and adjust your cost inputs for that. Um, and I, I look, I use 1500 for the gold price. We were 1700 a couple of weeks ago, and I, I don't think 1500 is. Is aggressive, but you can look. You can just do a scenario analysis. At fifteen hundred, it's worth X. You know, at seventeen hundred, it's worth Y. You know, that kind of analysis. Sure. You know, at fifteen hundred, I think DRD trades at you know two and a half times earnings essentially, two two and a half times EBITDA, let's say, and and very low. It's very low capex burden and no debt. So, I don't know. These are you know twenty five thirty year tailings, right? So you could easily be, a. to my mind, it could be a triple. I mean, with with, with DRD, you actually have additional upside because it's a minority ownership, excuse me, it's majority owned by another South African company called Sibanye. They own 50 point something percent of it. Uh, So there's, and they they recently took their stake from 40% to 50%, right? So they control it, they consolidate it, but it's a cash box. Sibanye has got a bit of debt. DRD is a cash box. What do you do with a cash box in a time like this? You probably want access to all the cash. So, look, the stock's back at 450. It wouldn't surprise me if if Sibanye came and tried to take out the minorities at you know seven or eight bucks near term. Yeah. Even though I think the stock is north of 10 um, in a year, uh, even in pretty mild scenarios. If I don't get that, if I get seven or eight bucks in the next you know three four months because Sibanye wants to get the cash, that's pretty juicy. Yeah. Um polyus is a bit tricky because it's owned seventy five percent by a Russian oligarch. So you're not gonna get taken out of it. Um but I mean the valuation is just insane. I, I, I have it on about a seven and a half percent deal. Yes, there is a bit of leverage, but again it's it's extremely manageable given the asset base. Yes, there's a bit of Russia risk on it, but that's more than compensated for by the fact that um, you know, a lower ruble really helps their P L. Um and they have the best quality assets I think they have some of the best quality assets in the world. Um, yeah, without going into too much detail, it's just an incredibly cheap stock. Um, I have it on a uh, uh, mid-single digits multiple, fully adjusted for, for those factors that I just I just talked about. And again, you know, the, the remaining reserve life is in excess of twenty five years, irrespective of their greenfield projects, which could could uh, add another fifty percent to to their production base. So, sure, it's a difficult asset to hold if you're levered on margin. Uh, but if you can look again, as everything we've been discussing in the series, if you can look through that noise and you're not going to get levered out of your position. And if you can hold these things for, you know, a year or whatever, um, I mean, both of those names I'm really excited about in the context of a bullish gold price.
0: Now, do these, uh, management teams have a history of giving, uh, back to shareholders either through dividends or buybacks?
1: Yeah, so Polyus has a very good management team for you know for a Russian company. Obviously, they have a very strict dividend payout policy where they essentially pay out a minimum amount in cash or percentage of EBITDA. So as EBITDA goes up, uh, and that's good that it's an EBITDA because it means if they take any one-off losses or impairments below the line, or if they have a big tax issue, that doesn't affect EBITDA. Right, so. You know, if EBITDA goes up lockstep with higher gold prices and lower costs, which it will, you get a fixed, a minimum fixed 30% of EBITDA powered as div. And I think that, and they've actually paid out slightly above that recently. But I think that's basically a baseline. So you're looking at, you know, on my numbers, seven, almost seven and a half percent yield. Uh, and again, I think my numbers are somewhat conservative. DRD is less uh, consistent. They have a huge amount of excess cash, but the recent dividend they they declared was a little disappointing. Again, I have my suspicions as to why that is the case. I basically think the management team has been told by Sibanye to keep as much cash as possible inside the company, so then they can try and take it out and not not give it to minorities. So that one, I don't think you'll get paid there by the div. You'll get a small. I mean, it's still trading on like four percent div, whatever. But there, I don't think you get paid on the div. There, you get paid on the takeout by the by the majorities. Um, and the, the final point on DRD is it's not it's not domiciled in English law. It's domiciled in South African law, which is very important because under South African law, minorities actually have much better rights than under English law. They have the right to appoint an advisor, a, a banker to get a fairness opinion on the deal. They have a right to dispute the terms of a transaction, all these kinds of things, which are not readily available in, in, in England, right? So the point being, if If Sibanye tried to do a take under or a very, very low unfair price, you you actually do have some recourse to push for a higher price.
0: Interesting. How do you know that?
1: Um, I did some research into it after discussing with some friends who who, who brought the idea to me in the first place. (laughs) Interesting. Had
0: no idea about South African law like that.
1: I mean, to be honest, I've never owned a stock through South African takeover before. So this is to be proven. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but I have seen, I have seen how sibanye basically lowballed an English, comp- English domicile company. They bought a company called Lonman, which was a PLC, so a publicly limited corporation in the UK. Um, and it was at the time was a very low price, even given the distressed market at the time for palladium. Uh, and they were widely criticized. And so the, the worry has always been, you know, you don't get fair value in a takeout. Um, but given the differences in dom and domicile, it's much more difficult to do that for DRD than it would have been for Lawnman.
0: Right. Inter- interesting. Huh. Well, um, this has One been. Time. Yeah, yeah you know. totally. And <laughs> I'm actually very familiar with Lawnman for uh, for different reasons. But um, yeah, I was just trying to think how I knew Lawnman, but now, now I put it together. But n- not for this show. Um, anyway, uh, interesting as always, Jeremy. And, uh, you know, I hope this was informative as well for, uh, all you guys out there listening. And, uh, if you guys have any questions, uh, for me, uh, or for Jeremy, um, and you have any questions, um, around just any kind of clarity around, you know, what's going on around coronavirus, or you have any suggestions for, uh, future themes during the series, Um, Just feel free to, you can either contact Jeremy or I on Twitter and we give out our handles in the show notes. Um, My email is uh, intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. That's for the show show email. Um, And Jeremy, do you have an email that you give out publicly?
1: Um, I won't give out my email, but I I will say please feel free to contact me on Twitter. My handle is P-U-P-E-Y-E-H 1, Papier 1. Or you can follow my blog. That's probably the easiest way. You can follow my blog, which is rapercapital, R-A-P-E-R, capital.com.
0: Okay, great. And and we include all that in the show notes so you don't have to write it down in your car or something. All right. Jeremy, pleasure to have you on as always. And uh, we'll talk to you later.
1: Thanks, Eric. Have a great day. You got it, man. You too. Bye. Bye.